You're listening to Dr. Ward Bond's Life-Changing Wellness, the fastest-growing natural health, nutrition, and inspiration podcast in the nation. Uplifting stories, powerful messages, and triumph over adversity, the experience of entertainment and encouragement is about to begin. And now your host, Dr. Ward Bond. Tom Cridland is a singer-songwriter, and when he started writing songs, he recorded over a hundred of them and then played a gig in all 48 continental U.S. states. While Tom's original music then caught the attention of the legendary Philadelphia soul band, The Stylistics, who invited him to perform his songs with them on their 2021 UK tour. Now, Tom's latest single, I Want to Be Home Alone, is a collaboration with longtime Elton John guitarist, Davy Johnstone. And not only that, Tom's greatest music of all time podcast even features candid conversations with his esteemed guest about pop culture, current affairs, and the music that means the most to them. Episodes have featured Annie Lennox, Dionne Warwick, even Chance the Rapper, the legendary Smokey Robinson, Kevin Bacon, Sir Cliff Richard, even Steve Perry Journey. So you get it. By now, that Tom Cridland is becoming a pop culture icon himself. And Tom also designs clothing that last longer and be treasured, which we'll talk about in a minute. So without further ado, let's welcome the singer, the songwriter, the host, and the fashion designer extraordinaire, the one and the only Tom Cridland. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. I don't know how I could uh, thank you enough for such a wonderful introduction. <laughs> well, I want to know right off the bat, Tom, what drives you to be to be multi-talented? Um, well, you know, I'm a jack of all trades, master of none. I get easily distracted by different things, whether it be fashion designs that I like or records that I love the sound of. And these wonderful bits of art give me the overwhelming urge to make my own art. And so, you know, I'm inspired, whether it's in fashion or whether it's in music by other people and, you know, particularly by some of the guests that I've had on my Greatest Music of All Time podcast. I've had wonderful musicians like Smokey Robinson or Annie Lennox on the show, uh, but I've had people from all walks of life, you know, actresses like Rose McGowan and Christina Hendricks, um, Kevin Bacon has been on, uh, Dionne Warwick, uh, I mean, I, I don't know, I pinch myself sometimes. So that's hugely inspiring. And I'd say that beyond anything else, having these conversations with people that are so engaging and enjoyable and fascinating, that really keeps me going. I mean, to think that on the podcast, I conducted the final interview ever with the late, great Chick Career. I mean, that's not something that I deserved to have the opportunity to do. Um, but happenstance just gives you these incredible opportunities. And so I, I would say the podcast inspires me to, you, you know, then create my own things, my, my own clothing designs and my own records. Well, when you do interview, uh, let's say the icons of music, so to speak, as you're having conversations with them, do ideas and creativity kind of just well up inside you when it comes to songs that you're currently writing or maybe gives you an idea for a song? And at the same time, you know, we know that uh, music anywhere from the 50s up until today, it's just been a, an extreme change of fashion uh, and it's basically fashion driven, especially the 1980s. Yeah, I mean, 
at the moment you hear a lot of 80s influence on popular music and you know for me I'm overwhelmingly inspired by music that came from the 60s, 70s and 80s and I guess as well as that it's fashion from that era that I love. I love flamboyant stuff and I don't know I, I guess I'm more engaged with the past in many ways than I am with the present. You know I'm far more interested in a great record played by human beings on real instruments recorded to analog tape than I am with you know an NFT or a TikTok account but I like to keep up with what's going on now but I just you know nothing new really impresses me to be honest I just when I see new things and new ideas I often just think this is crap <laughs> Tom, I can't agree with you 100% when it comes to that because I love the music of the 60s and the 70s. The 80s was its own era, which I think a lot of people are really, truly starting to appreciate. And I think with the 1980s especially, you know, fashion really uh, kind of skyrocketed through that era and into the early 1990s. If you were to choose three recording artist that let's say set the fashion standard who would you choose well i would not be able to realistically continue without mentioning elton john he's a big influence on my own style and on my own music and indeed you know i i also alongside making my own music i do elton john concerts you know i don't put on a, a wig or like a pair of fake teeth with a gap in or anything but you know i just play his music um, so he's a big influence in style terms. I love his flamboyant vibe. Um, and then I would say style-wise, other than that, I like the Beatles and therefore, you know, kind of Oasis, I guess. They're a bit derivative of the Beatles, but I mean, really, it's the Beatles. It's the mock tops, the Beatle boots. Um, I don't know, just their general style and wit. That's kind of what I like. Those are the only two, um, I wouldn't be able to mention a third who would influence me in any way like Elton John and the Beatles. I just, they're, they're like gods to me, those people. So, you know, when I see, when I see uh, people like Kanye West wandering around in this, you know, just terrible looking stuff, I just think, God help you. Yeah, that's more of a, it looks like it's more of trying to grab publicity or become clickbait online when I see fashion like that. I think I think one of the best groups, probably fashion-wise, uh, that is still kind of carrying the torch is Duran Duran. Yeah, yeah, they were always huge fashion icons and uh, their records. I mean, I love the song Ordinary World by Duran Duran. That's probably my favorite track of theirs. But yeah, they made so many good records, particularly in the 1980s. Well, let's talk about your backstory, because I understand that you had a very serious addiction problem. Can you tell us a bit about your story? Yeah, well, I was addicted to binge drinking, and I gave that up about four or five years ago so that I could focus more on creative endeavors and on, you know, leading a healthier lifestyle that made me happier and also made my girlfriend and business partner, Deborah, happier because she had to live for 
seven or eight years with an incredibly self-indulgent person who, whenever they had one drink, ended up absolutely plastered, you know, till four or five a.m. in the morning. And, uh, you know, once in a blue moon, I don't turn my nose up at people who like to drink or like to party or like to binge drink. I don't think that's right. And I had many great times uh, engaging in such activities. But at the end of the day, you know, once in a while, maybe, for it to turn into a big bender is okay. Um, but not every single time. Not when you go out for a quiet Sunday roast and a couple of pints and, you know, you end up in an empty nightclub on a Sunday evening drinking Jägermeister and, you know, being sick in Domino's afterwards. It's just not enjoyable anymore. So that was the extent of my addiction. Um, I was just addicted to binge drinking um, to the point where you could say that I was an alcoholic or at least somebody who needed to give up drinking. Um, and, uh, you know, I've spoken about it on many occasions and I like to do so in a tongue in cheek way because I do find that the world now has become very, very sanctimonious and preachy. And uh, it's lots of people who aren't particularly kind telling others, be kind. And it's, it's lots of people who know nothing about mental health lecturing us on mental health. So I'm no expert. I just yeah. like to tell the truth about my binge drinking problem. Well, let me ask you this, Tom, because um, if you don't mind me asking, were you using the binge drinking to actually cover up a deeper issue? Um, maybe. I mean, I never got any psychiatric analysis. I never went to AA. Um, I just typed up a, well, I printed out a list, I think from the AA website of kind of, you know, it was like a questionnaire that you fill out about why you want to give up drinking and, and there were pros and cons on there. So you get to list the reasons why it would be good to continue drinking and why it would be bad. And of course there were far more negative consequences on there. So that's how I gave up. I never had anyone expose, you know, whether the drinking was to mask some sort of deeper insecurity. Um, but I guess, you know, if, uh, flagrant narcissism is an illness, then uh, take me away, doctor. Yeah, well, let me, you know, you are, again, like I kicked off the interview already, you are multi-talented. And I've read your story. Um, how did, all, you know, with, with you overcoming the binge drinking, um, how long did it kind of take you to kind of grasp hold of this, this enormous creative nature that you have and then turned it into something? Well, when I was still drinking, I'd already started my clothing business, making 30-year sweatshirts and 30-year T-shirts, um, you know, garments with a 30-year guarantee. And then I'd helped my girlfriend start her marketing business, Deborah Marks Marketing. Um, so we had projects. I did work hard. But I just, you know, didn't work as hard as I could have. And I channeled creativity into throwing parties, meeting up with friends and getting drunk and going to karaoke bars and listening to lots of records. You know, I was still very passionate. It's not like I was a totally different person. I just like poured a lot more alcohol into my body. So I, so I was fatter. I kept up later nights and I felt like 
well, I felt very, very bad in the mornings. Um, but that, you know, that was the, the ultimate difference. So since then, um, when I gave up drinking, I became very, very manic about everything that I was doing, you know, hence writing and recording a hundred songs. Um, uh, at one stage in my band, I was a drummer, but of course I'm not musically trained and I didn't start singing or playing till I was 27 when I gave up alcohol. So I was very conscious of the fact I've got so much catching up to do. So at one stage, you know, I was doing like six hours of drum practice a day on top of work. Um, you know, and, and I was doing vocal exercises every morning and Oh, and then at another stage, I thought I was going to learn every single instrument under the sun. So I'd rotate, I'd do bass, guitar, I'd do guitar, I'd do piano, I'd do drum practice, I'd do vocal exercises, then I'd do other work. And I just didn't give myself a chance to rest. So that's the other thing. Uh, if you've got a bit of a manic binge drinking tendency, if you channel yourself into productive things, that can also be addictive. So it's, um, I guess, but coming back to your earlier question, if it was... Um, demonstrative of anything, I think it's that I've just got a very addictive mind. Once I get started on something, I want to do a lot of it. I want to complete it. I want to really feel like I've made the most of it. Um, and I think that can be a real problem. You know, it almost sounds a little bit of Michael Jackson. He's, you know, cause he was very, I mean, he never stopped, literally never stopped. And, and like he had said in previous interviews, uh, when he was alive is the fact that uh, the beat never left his head. And sometimes it really kind of drove him crazy, but he always pushed for perfection from the music to, to con you know, to concert setups and, and choreographing all of that together. So, yeah, I can kind of understand that. And I understand that with your recovery, uh, you mentioned in past interviews that Elton John's songs helped you to recover. How's that? Well, as I mentioned earlier, I'm uh, playing in one of the world's leading, in terms of quality at least, Elton John, um, you know, you could call us a tribute act, you can call us whatever you want. I mean, as I said, I don't wear the wig or kind of dress up too much like him. I might be influenced by him star-wise, but it's not about impersonating him, it's about playing his music and doing his music a service and focusing on the music, not focusing on the kind of celebrity bullshit or on the uh, dressing up like him. So playing his music, going to his concerts, listening to his music, it's given my life direction because that was a constant throughout the drinking and it was something that I could cling to when I stopped drinking. And, uh, you know, that's addictive, but I can't see any harm in it other than people thinking it's a bit odd that I've been to over 30 Elton John concerts. But... I don't really care. I think um, people spending money on an NFT is odd. I think people filming themselves on TikTok is odd. And I think um, people dressing like Kanye West is odd. So you know, <laughs> I, I, if, I agree if with Mike all Elton John music is weird, <laughs> then fine. You know, I agree with all three assessments right there with you, Tom, because every single one of them are kind of crazy. I don't mind doing filming such as this but to sit there with an iphone in my hand to film myself doing something no nah, that's that's just not going to happen at all <laughs> <laughs> so i get that but you know going to 30 elton john concerts that to me that's like nothing i mean there are people who follow their favorite acts follow their favorite bands and have probably seen some of them upwards to a hundred times so 
If you're a fan, you're a fan, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And uh, now, have you have you been able to catch Elton John's uh, final tour? Yes, I have been in New Orleans and in Oklahoma City um, on this recent leg. So yeah, I really enjoyed it. Other than I'm a bit dismayed to see his advisors or handlers or whoever it is suggesting that he do this god awful um, remix of his songs. It's called Cold Heart. It's this new record of his. It's gone into the charts, so I'm very happy for him because he likes having a hit single. But nothing on it is new. It's like a remix of a couple of previous songs, Sacrifice, Kiss the Bride, um, and I think Rocket Man. And the Rocket Man bit is sung by Dua Lipa. And in any case, um, it's a, not a good moment of the concert. I was very sad to see it because Elton, rather than playing piano, which he does, obviously, he's one of the best piano players in popular music history. Um, he, he sits there playing to a backing track. All the band go off stage and he, and he sings to a backing track, this modern sounding rubbish. And I just think it's doing a guy, it's doing Elton a disservice. Telling yeah, him is. That this is a good idea. Um, yeah, so, and that was really disappointing because I really do care about the music and, and I just think he's so great. So when something like that happens, you know, I, I think more people should say, no, that's shit. Like, do, <laughs> do, well, do your thing. Elton. Exactly. You know, need to be doing the exact thing that made him a legend. And that is singing live, playing live with an actual band. And, uh, you know, and I, you know, there's other acts today that are playing to backing tracks, which, you know, I think if you're going to create all of your music in Pro Tools, you better learn how to translate that into actual musicians playing that music live. And some people just have not been able to master it. Mm, yeah. Yeah. The backing track thing feels very boring and just, you know, it's, it's not really music, is it? it, it like no. all these DJs turning up and clicking play. That's not live music. They can call it live music. And the public are going to lap it up as live music because they don't care. But it doesn't change the truth, which is that it's not live music and that it's an aberration and an assault on our popular culture. Yeah, one of my favorite Elton John albums is actually Too Low for Zero. Um, I, don't think it, I don't think it got enough credit. And, yeah, uh, you're right. You know, but the, I think every song on that album is absolutely fantastic. And uh, I did like the Sacrifice album. I thought that was great. Um, of course, you can't beat all of the the songs that he did in the in the 70s. But according to his record sales, he owned the 70s, the 80s, and into the 90s. So he's still the largest selling artist for each of those decades and probably had more hits than anyone. But I want to ask you about your album, Falling Off the Rails. Uh, it seems to be a bit uh, autobiographical, is it? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's autobiographical in a tongue-in-cheek way because the actual song Falling Off the Rails, which I think is a great pop song, uh, it is, it's quite sort of Philadelphia soul, Jackson 5-inspired, um, a bit Motown and, you know, that type of thing. And uh, so it's quite upbeat. So the fact that it's called Falling Off the Rails, you know, you might expect it to be some kind of dark ballad inspired by the band or something but actually it's um yeah it's just a fun upbeat kind of soul track 
and yeah so it's it's autobiographical but yeah in a tongue-in-cheek way as i say so uh what inspired you to to do that album well that album was a, a selection of some of the best cuts from the year where i wrote a hundred songs so it's divided up into a couple of albums there's falling off the rails there's a midlife crisis in your 20s and then there's the whole box set which is the one single a week box set but effectively all of this music was written in about two months recorded instrumental wise in one month and then recorded vocals i would say two months so the whole thing all 107 songs was written um recorded mixed mastered in about six months um and i think boasting about speed is is uh, you know it's not a good thing to do it's not reflective of any kind of skill or, or, or i don't know i'm just saying that that is what happened uh, it was a manic burst of creativity and uh you know perhaps i will take it a bit slower in the future because i think that amount of effort just condensed into 10 songs. I mean, I reckon the 10 songs would sound pretty special. Well, how did you team up with the Stylistics? Well, their manager, Jack Bart, um, got wind of what I was doing, my records, etc., And he sent me an email and invited me on tour with them. Uh, it was very simple. I didn't have to do anything. Uh, and so I've just played 19 shows with them and I hope to team up with them again in the future because the most exciting thing that's happening right now in popular music, in my opinion, is a band called Silk Sonic, um, which is a duo. Uh, it's Bruno Mars and Anderson Pack. Um, and this duo, Silk Sonic, have just made the best pop album, I think, in over 20 years. And it's completely and utterly, in the best possible way, a ripoff of the stylistics <laughs> they use all the philadelphia soul um string arrangers i mean they've credited the stylistics as one of their main inspirations um it, it's it's you know bruno mars is a huge pop star what he's done is a great service to popular music so he's he's taken that sound and he's you know not really updated it he's just done his thing with it and it's just the most incredible music so to be touring with the original guys the stylistics who you know today's modern pop market probably don't care about as much as they should compared to people like Silk Sonic who are continuing to carry the torch for Philadelphia Soul. But for me to be touring alongside the originals, um, the Philadelphia Soul legends who's been doing it for 50 years, it's mind blowing. And it's like being transported in a time capsule back to a better time um, where, you know, just things were more soulful, more melodic and, and more live. And uh, so it's, it's, that's been the best thing that I've ever done in music, um, get the opportunity to tour with those people because there's nothing like connecting with a live audience who appreciate proper music. So what did you learn by being on tour with the Stylistics? I learned that touring is not particularly a glamorous endeavor. It's a job like any other. Uh, I learned that the best thing about music is not the people on stage or what they're playing, but it is the people in the crowd and how responsive they are. That is the thing that makes music worth doing for me. And I just learned as well, beyond anything else, how great the Stylistics back catalogue is. You know, it's not just you make me feel brand new or you are everything. 
they have so many good records, so well written, so well produced. The arrangements by Tom Bell are just astonishing. Their vocals are incredible. Their current lead singer, Bo Barrington Henderson, was just unbelievable. It was incredible to watch them every night. Um, and uh, and the, the, the sort of MC of the group, the guy doing all the announcements, who's been in, in the stylistics for over 50 years, Herb Morell, he, yeah, he, he had a lot of swagger. And uh, I, thought, I felt like just watching him every night was a privilege to see how he interacted with the crowd. Yeah, it's, um, you know, I've talked to a lot of recording artists, and I think the number one thing that drives them is just that energy you get from a live audience. Absolutely. Uh, without the live audience being responsive, there's almost no point to it. But with that, it just makes the whole thing come alive. I mean, some people are music intellectuals and, you know, real nerds who care a lot about their scales and, and, and reading music and you know they're far more talented than I will ever be but I just like playing pop music um, to crowds I like the buzz of it that's that's why I want to do it I think yeah and you know and I'm so glad that uh, all of the uh, bands out there and the recording artists are finally getting back on tour now with the UK tour that you did with the Stylistics in 2021, how were y'all able to pull that off during the pandemic? Well, I mean, I was kind of suspicious that something would get cancelled. Um, but, I mean, at that stage, people were allowed to have concerts. And, um, you know, people turned up. And really, I think if people were worried about getting sick, they stayed at home. Yeah, very much so. Well, let me ask you about your podcast because I think the name is absolutely fantastic. The greatest music of all time. I mean, the moment that you see the name of the podcast, you want to click on it and just find out what it's all about. Uh, how did you get it started? Well, thank you very much for your kind words about the name. Um, so I started it about three years ago in terms of filming, but I released the first episodes in 2020. And it was just an idea as to how I would be able to meet some of my heroes. And I think the greatest music of all time name was um, a great stroke of genius, um, a rare stroke of genius. But that is why people agreed to be on it because they wanted to come on a show called Greatest Music of All Time, particularly when I was telling these people, and rightly so, that they were the greatest musicians of all time. I mean, it doesn't hurt to have a nice compliment or two now and again, does it? No, it does not. It does not. So how were you able to uh, to connect with uh, the icons of music and even in uh, in acting? Uh, how were you able to connect with them so, so quickly? Well, I mean, it was a snowball effect. Um, obviously, I was pretty plucky and I contacted lots of people via their management. And I think once you get one or two, then more people are willing to come on. And then, you know, I do sometimes get approached. So some of the best interviews recently have been people actually saying, do you want to interview X, Y, Z? You know, do you want to interview Steve Perry from Journey? Like, yeah, I definitely <laughs> do want to interview Steve Perry from Journey. <laughs> yeah, you know, can, can you share with, uh, share with uh, the audience uh, some of maybe the, the special moments 
of some of your guests on your podcast? Maybe some of the stories that they shared that uh, really stick with you? Yeah, well, I would say some of the most special moments have just been actually being physically with these people because as a huge music fan to, you know, walk into the door of Verdine White's house, Verdine White from Earth, Wind and Fire, and, you know, see him there dressed in all white with white boots, his long hair, going to his living room full of platinum records and stuff and just sit down with him to be physically in the flesh with this le living legend, to be right in front of Smokey Robinson as he's like, you know, in his dressing room, um, to be in David Crosby's house looking at framed photographs of him with Miles Davis and Phil Collins. That type of stuff, for me, that beats the Zoom stuff any day of the week. That's why I want to try and get back to in-person recordings. Even though I will say Zoom is a wonderful tool, it's not like you're scrolling down Facebook or Twitter or something. You are connecting on a personal level with another human being. It's a much better thing to do than being stuck on social media all the time. So, and I did, during the pandemic, during the lockdowns, I did hundreds of episodes over Zoom. But the best moments of the podcast were being face-to-face -face with these icons. No, I, I completely agree. I mean, it, even on our end of things, we're getting ready to go back on location and to do these things in person. And there's just a, a, there's just a different vibe, a different energy when you're there in person. It, you just can't beat it. But, uh, you know, we've all learned through the pandemic that uh, tech, we can use technology to connect to one another and in a way just keep the ball rolling. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, technology used in the right way is a great tool. It's just not spending all day on it. It's not obsessing over it. Um, because that, to me, just ruins life, takes the joy out of life. Yeah, well, let's talk about uh, you becoming a fashion designer. Uh, where did that start? So me becoming a fashion designer started when I graduated from university in 2014. And that's when I first started selling clothing, when I first started selling clothing on my website. And so, and what type of clothing did you uh, start selling in the beginning? So it started off being trousers, uh, just colorful trousers. And then I came up with the idea of the 30-year sweatshirt, which was kind of ahead of its time in the sense that not all brands had started their greenwashing then. And not everything was so-called sustainable. So it was just a simple idea. Everybody's talking about how much waste the fashion industry produces. Why don't we try and get people to hang on to their garments for longer? So we put a 30-year guarantee on our sweatshirt and said, well, listen, you know, here's a win-win. We'll guarantee the sweatshirt for 30 years, so it's going to have to be pretty well made. We'll offer it to you at an affordable price and you will have something guaranteed to last 30 years. So what type of material do you, is it, I mean, is it hemp derived? It's just organic cotton. I mean, in reality, um, sweatshirts have long lasted for 30 years, <laughs> but it's the ethos that we were trying to change. Um, I mean, I'm talking about well-made sweatshirts, not fast fashion sweatshirts. Um, but it, it was just, uh, um, I guess, a refreshing direction for a brand to go in because everybody is so obsessed with fast fashion rather than 
holding on to items for longer, which is way cooler. Yeah, you know, it's, you know, especially here in the States, you know, so many, I don't even, it's hard to say. It's not really the, I don't, I guess some brands may be faulted for it, but a lot of the major stores, I think they're overbuying inventory and a lot of the clothing literally just goes either into an outlet store or basically goes to the dump, you know? And I think they yeah. overproduce fashion because, you know, a lot of people, I don't know if people are actually shopping in person like they used to and compared to what people are doing and buying online, especially sight unseen. They may see the picture of the garment, but they buy it and hope it fits when they when it's delivered. Yeah, I think that's the direction that things are going in. So there's a huge amount of waste. Fashion is the second most polluting industry in the world. And, uh, I, you know, I've heard stories of brands like Burberry, you know, burning their collections because they don't want them to end up being sold at cheap prices on the secondhand market. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, that, you know, that is an industry that I would not even want to attempt to be in because it's not only cutthroat, but to, to keep up with fashion or create styles that in a way that if you get, if you have garments that go out of style, what are you going to do with them? You know, so I kind of like the idea of the of a high quality sweatshirt because sweatshirts don't go out of style. Yeah, very true. I mean, that was the ethos behind the brand. It was meant to just be timeless kind of wardrobe staples. But then again, you know, since this fashion brand got started, I've had people copying the name. I've had people copying the concept. I've had um, all sorts of challenges and I've tried to stay independent and do it the right way. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the thing is, I will have more innovations on the fashion front coming up uh, later this year because you've got to keep driving forward uh, in the midst of all these challenges. And it's been the saving grace of staying independent has been the customers. Um, and, you know, we have to deal with customers very personally um, because we're making that pledge to them that their garments have been lost for 30 years. So whenever anything goes wrong, we really try and do our best. But we're a small team. I mean, these are these are kind of my values, like independent, non-corporate, not homogenized. I'm not saying that I wouldn't turn down some kind of big deal. Uh, I'm not pretending to be doing this on uh, as a philanthropist, but I definitely like the ethos, the underlying ethos of things to be actually based on something that's not just kind of fabricated. Yeah, and I think sustainability is extremely important uh, in today's world, in today's economy. I think some companies kind of use it as a marketing tool and not actually doing sustainability in their own company. But, uh, you know, there's a bunch of pluses when it comes to being an independent like yourself and focus on doing the very best with what you've got. And hey, if a big company comes along, <clears throat> it doesn't mean you're selling out. It just means somebody loves what you're doing. And, uh, and if you can retain some sort of control, you can just keep making it uh, better and even on a much larger scale for more people. Yeah, absolutely. You're, you're, you're right. Um, and yeah, I'm glad that we're on the same page when it comes to fashion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're probably a little bit more, you're probably a lot more fashionable than I'll ever be. But I do love 
looking at the different styles. I, especially when it comes to men's fashion, I like to see what's out there. But uh, what is next for Tom Cridlin? So I've got a few things in the pipeline. Um, I've got uh, this Elton John project that I'm working on, uh, playing his music because I want to continue spreading that wonderful music once Elton retires from the live scene. And most of the people doing Elton John tribute acts aren't very music focused. They're more focused on kind of dressing up like him, which I don't know, I don't think that's very important to continue doing. Um, I think it's his music that makes him one of the greatest artists in the history of pop music. I've got some original music of my own coming out. Um, and I've got a new clothing project coming up this year. Um, I've got a new book coming out this year about giving up alcohol called Whiskey Dick, volume one. Um, and uh, so I've got a few things that I'm working on. Um, and uh, yeah, and of course, new episodes of the greatest music of all time podcast. Well, let me ask you this on, uh, yeah, because I'll be interested in reading the book and you'll have to come back and share that book with all of us. But I want to ask you, which Elton John song is your absolute favorite? Um, probably, I guess that's why they call it the blues. You can't go wrong there. Wow. And uh, that was a great album. Yeah, I agree. Full yeah. of great songs that kind of been forgotten about, like Saint or um, you know, Kiss the Bride was a great single, for example. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, Kiss the Bride, I think, was... I'm trying to remember if it was the... It, was it the first song on side B of the album? Because I have the vinyl. <laughs> so I'm trying to remember the the um the song order but i think that was on the flip side of the album and uh, for me they never played that song enough on the radio it was yeah. i mean it's an in-your-face song and it to me it should have it should have probably been the number one hit but if i remember correctly was it i'm still standing was that on too low for zero yeah that, that became a much bigger record and he, he still plays that live of course now so yeah, and um, but yeah, Elton just keeps it up. But uh, no, I agree with the backing tracks, Elton. If you're watching or listening, you got to dump the backing tracks. We love you, man. Yeah. Just keep it live. You've got the best band, the best musicians behind you. Use them, use them. Yeah, 100%. So, <laughs> hey, Tom, I want to thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much, Ward. I really appreciate it. I love speaking to you, and I am very grateful for your thoughtful question. Uh, you're very, very welcome. And ladies and gentlemen, I encourage you to head over to TomCridlin.com to check out his music, his clothing, and his podcast, The Greatest Music of All Time. You can find it on Spotify. You can find it on iTunes. You can't miss it. And let me tell you something. When you go down the list of episodes, you are going to be amazed of the absolute icons and legends of music, even acting, that Tom has interacted with. And I can guarantee you this, you're going to enjoy every single episode. So start downloading the greatest music of all time. And ladies and gentlemen, I hope 
you, my viewers and listeners, have had the greatest time of all with Tom Cridland and myself. And again, Tom, thank you for honoring us with your time and presence today. No, thank you. Uh, it was a real pleasure. All right, ladies and gentlemen, stay tuned because I'll be right back after this.